0: the way that I look at work changed. I realized that there's always somebody that's going to outwork you. There's obviously people that are much smarter than you. I knew that even in law school, that I wasn't going to be the hardest working or smartest kid there.
1: Podcast Junkies, episode 31. In case you missed it last week, I did my standard recap of the year in review and it was uh it was interesting because it was my way of going back and seeing just how this started it was april of 2014 so i go into detail about all the guests and the experiences i've had over the past year or so it's an interesting trip down memory lane and it seems like it's um a long time ago, but in fact it wasn't. It's not hasn't even been a year, so I imagine um, there's just a, a lot more good stories and good interviews to come, so I'm, I'm pretty excited. Uh, so check that out if you haven't. It's uh, my 30th episode, and and it's how I kicked off the year. So I'm looking to get, like I said, back on track with the interviews. I've got already three in the can, and this week's is a great way to start off the year. It's Jordan Harbinger from The Art of Charm, and Jordan's uh, been running his podcast for close to seven years. He's up to episode 340, 350. And it originally started out as a relationship dating, how to uh, have better conversations with the opposite sex type of show, um, how to get guys out of their comfort zone, um, coaching around that topic. And he's also built a business around that as well. But what he's found is that over the years he's broadened the variety of guests he's bringing on and he's had the likes of uh, Chris Ryan on the show recently. He just had Ben Greenfield from Ben Greenfield fitness. So he's getting uh, a range of guests that are covering a bunch of topics and it's not just on that narrow topic of relationships or dating or sex or, or things like that. I think he's demonstrating his skill as an interviewer by Probing deep into um, what makes these folks tick. And I, I'm always, always entertained with his interviews because I feel he does a, a, a pretty good research and the conversations always um, are in depth and I really like where they go. He's had some, some of my favorites. He spoke to John Corcoran as well. He recently had uh, Judy Robinette from uh, the power of networking, which was a fascinating interview as well. So uh, like I said, there's tons on there. I highly recommend you check that out. Jordan's got a fantastic story. He's, he's uh, worked in legal firms. He's traveled abroad. He speaks multiple languages. Um, and he's always been on a mission to, I think, um, rediscover himself um, and get himself out of, out of his own head um, and change the person that he was when he was uh, younger. Um, a, big, a big, big change from the person he is now. And uh, he's a very successful businessman and he's running a seven-figure business with The Art of Charm and he's just firing on all cylinders. So we had a fantastic conversation and I think you'll enjoy it. This episode is brought to you by ProdConf. ProdConf is a one-day productivity-intensive. It's going to be held in downtown Los Angeles on May 9th. And I'm really excited about this program that I've put together. I've had the benefit of talking to a lot of very interesting, very successful, and very productive folks over the course of the past year as a result of the podcast, as a result of going to conferences, and as a result of just going to local meetups and engaging with folks on a regular basis. And so I've taken eight of the smartest people, most productive people, most uh, successful folks, and great speakers that, I, that I've that i come across and know and are very privileged to call a friend and have invited them to downtown los angeles to take part in this intensive for your benefit so get the get the details on the site the i've made an easy domain for you it's downtownproductivity.com you can check that out and I would love to see you there. If you are running a successful business and you're looking to take it to the next level, if you're successful in your career, at your business, and you wanna get more ideas and more tips and more suggestions on how to change your mindset and take that productivity to allow you to be more uh, more productive in your business and in your personal life, and maybe even go out and venture out on your own and start your own entrepreneurial journey, or if you have started your entrepreneurial journey and you stagnated for a bit, but you realize the importance of surrounding yourself with like minded folks, with folks who are high earners, high earners, folks who are kicking ass and folks who really know what they're doing because they've been in the trenches and they've demonstrated the fact that they can be successful. So I personally love to surround myself with those types of people. I've been making it a point to do that on a more consistent basis and 2015. Is going to be no different so i'm super excited about this event i can't wait uh to see you guys there hopefully you can sign up hopefully you can make it it's going to be very small very intimate probably no more than about 150 to 200 people there and uh, it's one day for the first annual and i look to have this be one of many that i'm going to kick off um on a regular basis so downtownproductivity.com for more details okay now on to the interview with Jordan Harbinger. So, Jordan Harbinger, thanks for joining us on Podcast Junkies. Thank you for having me. I appreciate the opportunity. And, um, yeah, a couple of uh, technical difficulties prior to starting up, but uh, I'm sure with 300-plus episodes in the can, uh, you've had your fair share of uh, technical snafus.
0: Yeah, um, mostly my fault, really. <laughs> um, looking at it, yeah, of course, you know, you've had the... Call recorder crash, and then you restart it. I've had that happen, and I've had other things happen where your computer just goes into the gray screen. Yeah. Back when I back in the GarageBand days, when it was like podcasts, what's that? Oh, you need all this external stuff because microphones and computers don't talk to each other. <laughs> so, and now we've kind of come full circle where there's this whole USB mic phase, and then it was like, ah, uh, but if you really want good stuff, you still need to go back to XLR cables and an interface. But now they've actually figured out a way to make an interface more than a tin can with some wires sticking out of the back of it so yeah. now you've got like good rack mountable or even desktop focus right type interfaces that also cause massive problems when using skype because skype's not built for multiple mics you know on a show type scenario that's what that's my current pain in the you know what yeah oh it's uh
1: not pg show so you can if, if you oh that's I'm, that's my current pain in the dick
0: because you know okay good just just so i know who i'm the well, yeah i've heard you um, on
1: previous shows i figured you like to speak freely so i might as well let you.
0: yeah i mean i'd try not to be like totally ridiculous about it but my own show I'd, i i don't go oh shucks you yeah. know so you know you got your skype where it only recognizes channel one as the microphone because they weren't expecting a whole round of table of people to be talking on one Skype channel. They just want you to get a group Skype account because they figure if you're in the same room, you're not using Skype. Exactly. So but whatever. I mean people smarter than me are figuring have already figured that out. I just need to read the article
1: and have somebody smarter than me set it up. <laughs> have you had the, uh, the the podcaster's nightmare where you have this fantastic interview and then you go back and you lose your, you lost the recording?
0: Yeah, where it's like one side of the conversation. Yeah. It's just you going, hmm <laughs> mm, oh oh Oh, this is awesome. I can't wait to release this. And then five minutes of silence. Yeah, yeah. I had that. I've had that happen.
1: And that's a, a tail between the legs, uh, phone call or email back to the to the guest.
0: Well, that's what you say is you're never going to believe this. My external hard drive crashed. This is terrible. I lost a ton of data. Unfortunately, yours was in the mix. So if anybody out there gets that from me. It's because I did something stupid. <laughs> chances are that I mean let's be honest, the solid state hard drive crashing, unlikely, yeah, also exactly. I save everything in my laptop, so it's not like i mean if I say that to you, it's probably because I screwed up somewhere and I'm lying because really? I'm embarrassed
1: when did you I know you've got a lot of help with folks you know helping you with the show, scheduling um some editing the production. when did you hand over the reins on that um,
0: yeah, when did I hand over the reins? you know what it, it came, I remember just a few years ago saying things like. I'm never going to be able to hand over the editing of the show. That's largely art. You know, I mm-hmm. I like the silences the way they are. I edit out certain words. I maintain the image of the brand. If I make a really corny joke, like aside from the ones <laughs> I normally make, that might get clipped out. Or you know, the sirens. I'll filter those out. And then I had an engineer, an audio engineer in the UK. His name's Jason. He's uh, still working with me a few years ago, and he was like, "Listen, I'm a pro audio engineer." I would love to help master the show. And I was like, I got this. I don't need your help. (laughs) He's like, just send me one. Let me know what you think. I sent him one of my already edited shows and it came back way better. I mean, it was just because he was originally just mastering, not editing. Yeah. And it was just like unbelievable. All the silence was actually quiet. The sirens were gone. Any weird stuff on your desk was gone. And I was like, this is really good because I was using pretty crummy. I was using studio mics in a place with a hardwood floor, which is just a massive no-no because I didn't know anything about actual audio even just a few years ago. And then finally, I I upgraded my equipment and stuff like that. And I was like, hey, you know, why don't you edit the show too? Because I want to up my release schedule and all this stuff. And he started editing. And honestly, it's it's better slash just as good as I would have done. He cuts... He cuts out silences and he adds things in here, and it makes it sound really nice. He masters it, of course, which I didn't know how to do. And then once I finally re-upgraded my equipment even more, right now I'm using really high-end, the same stuff I used at Sirius XM, really. Yeah. Aside from the the board, and um, he masters it, so it sounds just like, aside from when I record something on friggin' call recorder, which downgrades your quality, it sounds just like it would if I was at Sirius XM because I've got acoustic padding and all that stuff here now
1: too. So talk a little bit about the journey, um, and then we'll, we'll, we'll jump into current current day, but how you ended up uh, with uh, the Art of Charm podcast.
0: Sure. So the way that I uh, – well, how I started the show in the first place just completely?
1: Yeah. Okay. Well – I've heard it. And I want the listeners to hear it. It's, it's, a, it's a very interesting story. <laughs>
0: sure, yeah. So th- basically what happened was I worked on Wall Street for a while, and i had this it's funny i just use this word so loosely mentor his name was dave and what that means on wall street what a uh, mentor is is somebody who that hr says this guy's your mentor so go out for coffee and dinner and stuff and you should like each other too that's optional yeah so you've got that going for you which is you know just grand and so dave was my mentor he's never there he was super cool i mean he hired me and everything it was awesome but um he was never there. And I mean, literally 1 p.m. on a Wednesday, not there. And he was a partner. And I thought, how weird, because it, it doesn't make sense for people who bill hours professionally to not be in the office. Yeah. And then one day I, I brought this girl up to my super cool Manhattan, Manhattan skyscraper <laughs> office and – uh I was like, this is going to be so cool. She's going to be like so stoked because Wall Street jobs were hot, especially in 2007. They still are. And then, you know, being a lawyer and being a certain age, I mean, there are, there are literally there are women in New York who are like, what firm do you work for? <laughs> what level associate are you? Because they work in HR in some other firm or some other capacity, PR, whatever. And they literally there must be some sort of spreadsheet going around that says like, if he works at this place and he's been there for two years,
1: here's his salary. So are they because, like are they like hedge fund gold diggers?
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly, <laughs> precisely. And so you'll be hanging out, and they're like, oh, you know, you're an attorney you that's great. And then they're like, are you here with clients? Because then it's like their teeth, are, <laughs> their teeth, their your fangs come out, you know. And you're like, yeah, I'm here with investment bankers, and they're just like, oh my god, you know, it's like being a rock star or something. Only I'm the roadie. So yeah. so I, w- I took her to my office, and I was like, this is going to be so cool. Check this one off the bucket list. I show up, and everyone's there, all the partners, all the senior associates. <laughs> it's like 1 a.m. on a Saturday night, and I'm thinking, WTF, man, what is this crap? I, I, honestly, so I ran the hell out of there before anybody could ask me to help them with anything, <laughs> obviously. Uh, I know how to preserve my weekends. And so the next day or the next uh, week on Monday – I go up to this mid-level associate that I was cool with. And I was like, dude, what's going on? Is there a deal closing? You know, sort of nonchalant. And he's like, no, why? And I'm like, all right, truth. I came in on the weekend. I saw a lot of people here. And he's like, oh, yeah, we were here pretty much all weekend. I think I went home at like 2.30 a.m. on Saturday. And I'm like, what? Why? And he's like, man, we're, we're kind of always doing that. And I thought, whoa, whoa, whoa. Wait a minute. I'm yeah. this summer associate. I'm, you know, my job is to build hours and have fun mostly have fun and then when I get here my job is to build hours but I didn't realize I was going to be like underground sweatshop labor here this is insanity. That must have have scared the shit out of you. It scared the shit out of me so I was like well wait a minute wait a minute my mentor's not here at 1 p.m. on a Wednesday why are these partners here at 1 a.m. on a Saturday it doesn't even make sense so finally Dave takes me out for coffee probably because he like had to check off a box on a forum somewhere and just they made him do it and He's like, ask me anything you want on his BlackBerry, just click clacking away, et cetera. And I was like, okay, thinking I don't want this job anyway because this is just frigging terrible. So why do you make more money than the other partners, even though you're never in the office? And he just sort of pauses, puts his BlackBerry down. and He's like, how do you know that? I'm like, well. OK,
1: you there? No, um, Hey, I actually don't bill hours. Yeah. It just cut out for a second. So he asked you, uh, how do you know that? He said, he said, how do you know that? I was like,
0: well, the, the rumor, the rumors going around. So he's laughing and he says, yeah, actually, I guess I I maybe do make more than other people. I never really thought about it. Totally lying. Right. And then I I said, well, what do you do? Just work a lot from home thinking maybe his wife was pregnant (laughs) or sick or had tiny kids or something. And he goes, no, uh, I actually don't bill that many hours. And I was like, okay, wait a minute. So our job is to bill hours because we bill, because one thing, if, if you're not an attorney, which most people out there listening are not, if you are an attorney, your job is to bill in six minute increments as many as humanly possible from as many different clients as possible, because that is you printing money for the firm. Okay. And you know, you can't pad the hours because clients know who's efficient and who's not. So you just work a ton for various clients. Well, if you don't bill hours, you don't get your hourly bonus. You sure as hell would not make partner and you definitely would you you would be out on your ass well before then because you're not make your net loss if you're not billing hours. Unless you're a paralegal who also bills hours and does a lot of work and gets underpaid. So the way that this sort of didn't add up in my mind was very profound. And I was, I, I said, Okay, so what what do you do all day? Like <laughs> just totally stupefied. And he said, Well, I, I generate a lot of business for the firm. And so at this point, I'm like, okay, screw coffee. Tell me how that works. I'm, get, I'm getting the whole vision. Uh, you saw
1: The Wolf of Wall Street? Yes. When he's exactly. having that conversation with Matthew, was, Matthew McCartney. <laughs>
0: yeah, it's kind of funny because I saw that and I was like, this looks strangely familiar except yeah. I was at a Starbucks yeah. and they were at a nice restaurant and Matthew McConaughey actually wanted to be there and, you know, learned and he took... Leo under his wing yep. was Dave could not wait to get the hell out of there. Checked a lot of emails on his BlackBerry, basically never saw him again. Okay. So,
1: but he gave you what you needed.
0: He did. He gave me exactly what I needed, which was that knowledge. And, and I said, well, wait, how does that work? And and he was limping and stuff. And I was like, first of all, a guy from Brooklyn with a tan, what's going on here? <laughs> so I was like, what the, what's going on? You're limping, you know, or did you go on vacation? At this point, I'm asking him questions, not knowing I'm just like spraying bullets everywhere because I don't know what to ask. And I figure if I get shit canned, I don't care. <laughs> you know, worst case scenario, I'll get another job. It'll probably be equally bad. This isn't like the best firm around. I just don't care. So um, I it, it realized in 2006, 2007, Wall Street was recruiting students from schools like Michigan Law by way of, hey, we have a two week London retreat. That's mm. all expenses paid for everybody who's a junior associate at the firm, and we stop in Prague on the, on the way back. It's like, you know, just insane because yeah, exactly. they want you to work there because you are a net win big time if they can get you in the door. So he's telling me, oh, I do jiu-jitsu every day. And I'm like, yeah, so I injured my knee. What? You do jiu-jitsu every day? All right, yeah. And then, you know, the tan, oh, yeah, I was on a cruise last weekend from Thursday to Monday. What? what <laughs> when do you work? You know, and at this point, I'm getting sort of the vision of what his job really is, which I don't even think he had thought much about, which is if there's an investment banker or a potential client that has a day off anywhere in Manhattan, his job is to go hang out, play squash, do jujitsu, go on a cruise, go to the charity dinner, hang out at the golf club with that guy. Because the more time he spends with them and shows that he's cool, confident, competent, good for business, the the more the more likely they are to throw him a deal. And bear in mind, a real estate law deal could be seven figures. Mm-hmm. So if he spends 100 hours with one of those guys and gets one deal from it, that's a ton of money compared to the guys, even the guys that are billing $800, $600 an hour to do work, he's worth 10 times more or more than that guy in terms of revenue add to the firm. So he's getting a bonus based on the, the clients he brings into the firm, which probably just dwarfs the $50,000, 100000 bonus that a partner yeah. gets for just billing hours. So it becomes a no brainer for him to just never really bill that many hours, not even look at the clock and do a lot of quote unquote pro bono for the firm, you know, knock that out and hang out with people and then get a million dollar real estate deal once a quarter, once, you know, every six months, because that's probably a He's probably getting some percentage of that, which is worth more than the house I grew up in every single year.
1: Yeah, and he, I think he uh, – what you realize now after the fact is he figured out that the time for money formula uh, wasn't going to suit him in the long run.
0: Right, and, and whether he did it consciously or not, he also probably realized even if he was still stuck in time for money, he probably went, well, I like hanging out. I'm good at hanging out, and I'm making a ton of money when I do my hanging out right, schmoozing and stuff like that right. So why on earth would I be in the office? In fact, if you're a smart firm manager, you don't even want to see that guy in the office yeah. except for like the occasional all hands big deal meeting because if he's in the office, it means he's not hanging out with somebody who could give you your firm business. It means he's doing something that somebody else should do, even if that other person is paid $800 an hour to do it. Yeah. So he would structure deals. I'm sure he had a higher enough level of technical competence when it came to these deals, but Even if he was the best real estate lawyer in the world, it would have made more sense for the firm to pay somebody else to do that job. And a lot of people are like, I don't care about how law firms work. Why are you talking about this? It does have a point, and I'll get to it right now, which is that the reason that I stopped worrying about that, about all the Wall Street stuff, goes back to this. The way that I look at work changed. I realized that there's always somebody that's going to outwork you. There's obviously people that are much smarter than you. I knew that even in law school, that I wasn't gonna be the hardest working or smartest kid there. That was a big realization for a lot of people. I already kind of learned that early. So when I got to Wall Street and realized I wasn't gonna sacrifice my whole life for this company that I didn't really care about and this perfection I didn't really care about, what I learned from Dave was people skills not only get you in the door, because I got my job through networking in the first place, people skills are what get you to the top of the top. That never stops. It depends on how you say this, right? If you say, oh, it's all about who you know. What that means is you don't really understand the secret game being played around you Mm -hmm. with networking and relationships. And if you say, if you're like in my camp, what you say is, thank God it's all about who you know, because I know that I can build relationships and get business and things like that much better than I can spend 20 hours a day, seven days a week in an office, et cetera. So for me, I started to work on people skills, networking skills. I wanted to know everything I could because that was what was going to get me to the top of the law game back then. Mm-hmm. Is is trying to be like Dave. What I then found was a massive passion for psychology, pop psychology, real psychology, um persuasion, sales, every every skill set that involves human nature is it was just freaking fascinating. Dating skills, all that stuff. Yeah. And so I started to get really absorbed in that, thinking this is going to be the key to this lucrative Wall Street career. And what I started doing was podcasting about it with my business partner, AJ. AJ was really good with women. So we, I was bringing the networking skills into play. He was bringing the, the dating skills into play. And it was just a fascinating conversation. We went out every night for six, uh, six days a week for over a year. And we started recording the show because people were... People were asking if we could teach it to him, write a book, blah, blah, blah. We weren't sure as heck we weren't going to do that. So AJ goes, Hey, listen, I know you and I aren't going to write a book. You're starting for the bar exam. I'm a cancer biologist because he was a cancer biologist back then. He goes, There's this new thing called podcasting, 2006, bear in mind, and we should check it out. It's going to be fun. You and I already like talking. You said you wanted to be a talk show host when you were a kid. I think it'd be fun. Let's go to Guitar Center. We'll get some microphones and we'll plug them into the computer and we'll record. So we went to Guitar Center and they said, you want to plug microphones into a computer? <laughs> I don't think that that, I don't think you can do that. So they ordered a USB interface for us because God knows nobody would have carried that at a store.
1: Exactly.
0: We're probably the only people that ever bought that. And then he, him and I finally got it. We had it overnighted because we couldn't freaking wait. We had it overnighted. We got that thing. We plugged in our microphones, our studio microphones in our noisy basement with a furnace uh, and we started recording picking up every noise along the way. But we put the show into iTunes and we started looking at the downloads. And within a week, we had 24 downloads in one day and we were dancing in the kitchen, literally. Uh, And now we have 1.2 million plus downloads per month and uh, no more kitchen dancing, but just sort of more of an emotional kitchen dance. If
1: I I remember correctly from um, one of your previous interviews, AJ is a molecular biologist? He's a, a molecular cellular biologist. Yeah. Like, so, he was. So he was, and he was, he, and he had game.
0: Yeah, which <laughs> is like, what? Right. But it, he had the same issue that I did, right? He would go to the lab and there would be guys who hadn't left the lab for 15 straight hours. Yeah. And he's like, I'm just coming in to check on my slides, bro. You know, and so his, his mentor, he had the opposite thing. His mentor was like, listen, if you don't put in FaceTime in this office, if you don't sit around and kiss butt, you're never going to make it to your, through the PhD. And after a lot of soul searching and a lot of alcohol, but you know, drinking between him and I, he was like, I'm only doing this because my family wants me to be a doctor. And I didn't want to go to medical school or didn't get in. I can't remember the whole thing on his end. And it's like, that's dumb. You know, let's do this. So I left Wall Street. He left bi- uh, biology. And we started really focusing on the art of charm, running our boot camps with our clients. And that was eight years ago. And now it's a multi million dollar operation.
1: Yeah, what's fascinating is you understood the importance of networking. Um, and it seems like it's more commonplace now and probably as a result of podcasts and people talk about it all the time. Um, I was reminded of it when you, when you interviewed uh, John Corcoran. Um, and I, I interviewed John as well and he does an excellent job of that. But the thing is, uh, the point that you make is not only can you, there there is no top floor to the level of networking that you can achieve because the the people that you begin you begin speaking to are people that 2 years ago if someone had told you would have had that conversation you probably would have laughed them out of the room.
0: Well, yeah. I mean, when I when I hear things I I just got an email the other day that says, "Hey, Larry King would like to be on your show." And I was like, wow. "Ha ha." Right? Thinking, "Yeah, sure." Yeah, and also, you know, I'm gonna get, you know, go hang out with the Pope afterwards. So, because I, re- Larry King's like the best, one of the best interviewers in the world, one of the most famous people in America, and he's pitching. Why are his people pitching me? This is insane! Insane. When I started this show and started to really get into podcasting, even four years in, I was like maybe, maybe one day I can meet Larry King and ask him something about interviewing. And now his people are pitching to come on AOC. It just doesn't make sense to me in like the emotional sense here. Yeah. So yeah, I would have, I would have been like, thanks for the vote of confidence. Yeah. Having Seth Godin on the show, people who are really, really accomplished. And cause you know, you always have imposter syndrome, or at least I do where it's, it's like, wow, I can't believe I'm getting this person on my show. This is amazing. And then Afterwards, they want to meet up in San Francisco, and I'm like, cool, don't look a gift horse in the mouth. And they're like, I really appreciate this. Your show was great. This is so fun. I really, you know, I wasn't sure I was going to be a good fit for you. I'm glad you said yes. And I'm thinking, Why, when did I become the hot chick? And it's, it's a cool feeling, and it's a lot of fun because what it says is now I can create even more amazing stuff for our audience and for the Art of Charm show fans, which is the whole goal anyway. And so it it really allows, it's not just like an ego boost. There's, there is that, but mostly it's like, wow, this level of access, I can create some really cool stuff that will just continue to change people's lives at just an even higher level, which is awesome.
1: It's funny. I I did hear the one with Seth Godin and he had, um, he wrote about the dip. Um, and I was curious with so many episodes that you've had, Did did you have a proverbial dip in terms of your enthusiasm for the show, what you were doing, like thinking about what was the future and how much longer you you could keep this up?
0: Yeah, that's a great question, actually. Um, I did have a massive dip and it was years long. So I started the show with AJ in 2006, literally December. So let's say 2007. And we did the show for like a year or a year and a half. Super enthusiastically, maybe a couple of years after that with waning enthusiasm, but we didn't realize it wasn't because we didn't like podcasting or something. It's because we, we we had pigeonholed ourselves into this weird, like, pickup artist sort of pigeonhole, and the sh- now, of course, the show's evolved well past that y- years ago, but we were just like, these guys suck, you know? Like, these <laughs> guests are just, like, really weird, and we don't identify with them, but like, this is our show that we do, so, eh. So we we kept doing it, and then it was like, well, release every other week instead of, uh, this week we didn't have time, uh, this month was kind of mm-hmm. busy. And after a while, we had some technical glitches, and we were like, screw it, we're done. And I was like, eh, i kind of like to get back into this. So the longest break we ever had is I think, a couple of months, um, and that was the only time we ever did that. And I started to record it, and then I kept going. And then I was like, you know what, a few years ago, probably three years ago, the dip sort of ended and I said, all right, I like recording. I feel good when I do this. I'm in the zone. This is my area of focus. And that was sort of when I was doing Sirius XM Satellite Radio as well. I really enjoyed it. I looked forward to it all week Mm -hmm. and I thought, why am I just waiting till Friday night evening drive to do this? I can can do this whenever I want. So I decided I'm going to record the podcast more regularly. And then I started looking at best practices like releasing on the same day every week. And I did that and my audience increased a ton. And then I looked at other strategies like releasing more than once a week because I had a massive backlog of guests and I started to have help with my engineer, Jason, uh, helping me edit the show. And and I thought, sure, I can I can ramp it up to two and my audience more than doubled. And then I ramped it up to three and my audience more than tripled. And then I thought, okay if I do any more than this, I'm going to hate it. So I stopped uh, and I'm, I'm at three a week now. I'm going to ramp back down to two because I'm starting to get my most loyal, most sort of gung-ho fans are even writing in and going, hey, yeah, I just wish I could keep up with all the good stuff. And I'm thinking if people aren't even really listening to everything, let's go back down to two where people can keep up because I don't want people to get overwhelmed and then go ah, of hell with it and then find something new because that's kind of how my mind works where you're like three seasons behind on something and you're like, "I'm I'm over it.
1: Yeah, you basically just scrap it. It's it's an interesting uh, thing that happens because it happened to me with, a, with another podcast. And when they were doing once a week, I was a loyal listener and I was checking them out all the time. And then they decided to, I think they went up to three or maybe even five. And it's just the deluge of podcasts. And I was just felt overwhelmed. And I'm like, oh, man, it had the opposite effect because now I'm just, I, I don't feel like I'm ever going to get caught up.
0: Yeah, it's... It's it's tough, and and then you feel like you're not part of the conversation, which makes you lose affinity for the show. Like if you look at people who listen to Joe Rogan and stuff like that, they they might not listen carefully to everything, but they will certainly they will certainly listen every day, mm-hmm. or at least close to it, to sort of keep up with all the drama. And how look at Howard Stern. If you don't listen to Howard Stern, you miss <laughs> something. People download yeah. that to keep up. It's like a soap opera, and that is that's that's extremely that's extremely important that sort of that sort of loyal fan base that sort of storyline continuity that's the word i'm looking for that is so damn powerful for keeping a loyal listener but look at serial if you miss one if you listen an hour after it comes out your dumb friend texts you and ruins it right yeah so you've got to listen like the second it's up people are texting each other i remember walking down the street in new york and some girl behind me was like hello? Oh, the new serials out? Hold on, hold on, hold on. Stops, leans up against a wall, goes to the podcast app, downloads it, just keeps talking to our friends, says, yeah, it'll be done in like four minutes, five minutes. Chats, chit-chat, small talk, goes, okay, hold on. Oh, yeah, it's done. Okay, cool, I'll talk to you later. And I was like, no one has ever done that with The Art of Charm in the history of the whole show, and probably never will. But like, that is awesome. I mean, that for me was exciting, not because I like cereal, but because that means that people are starting to really give a crap about podcasts for things other than a good laugh here and there because their comedian, ha- favorite comedian has one. Like they're starting to take this seriously, which is awesome because I think coming from radio, I think it will replace radio. And I'm the only reason it hasn't already is because getting. Data in your car, it sounds like the future, but literally new models of cars, usually 4G comes standard in some of these models now. So in two, three years, it's going to be like if you want it's going to be like satellite radio. If you want terrestrial radio, please downgrade your crap to this option. Otherwise, here's a 4G radio with a year of data included, and after that it's five dollars a month. And even then, smart brands like Spotify are going to be like, "No, no, 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 we'll pay for your data. But Spotify is what you have as a service on the radio. And then you're gonna you know, there's gonna be tons of that. Because to have a user listening to Spotify, you know, in your car every day for free and they pay your data, it's a really cheap way to get your ads in millions of years.
1: No, I mean think what's it's fascinating what's happening with this podcast thing. I mean, like when you start having people that you never even knew, like, you know, let's say your girlfriend, your wife, whatever mention it and they're like oh podcast this podcast that and obviously a lot of it has to do with serial and startup and all those folks but uh we're in for some interesting times
0: yeah i'm stoked i mean for me this is this is really cool because for you and i both actually i'm looking at a show that's increasing in popularity um through a lot of effort on our part and also just through organic organic means and there's a lot of stuff happening with my show that i don't even fully understand Um, that's happening all the time, looking at my download numbers and stats and things like that. And you know, I joined a network podcast one, which is now like, Hey, why don't you come on Adam Carolla? Why don't you go on love line? Can we have stone cold Steve Austin go on your show? Do you want to be on his show? I mean, these are, these are appearances where a year ago I would have been like game. This is a game changer. And now it's like, can we schedule five of these in a row while you're in LA? And that for me is, is, is extremely important to the growth of the show because there's, I don't have stats on this, but, and tell me what you think, if you agree. I would wager that the vast majority of podcast listeners probably listen to, like, the one show that their favorite celebrity's on, and then, like, maybe another one that their favorite comedian is on, and nothing else.
1: Yeah, if they're just, a no, if they're not like me and you in in the, in the podcasting game, so to speak, then that's probably what happens, uh, but interestingly enough and it, it happened with joe rogan i i was turned on to a whole bunch of other podcasts as a result of that i started listening um to some of the other comics that were on there duncan trussell brian callen a, f- a lot of funny shit that i from people that i'd never even heard of and i think that's what happens it becomes like this rabbit hole you just go down and they mention once one podcast or this one guest and you go looking for them
0: yeah it's see that's awesome and of course. You know the new mission is what get on Joe Rogan and stuff like that. That's yeah, and and that's a great way to get exposure too. Um, although at the end of the day, you can go on that and you, your show could double an audience, but then you could stagnate forever there thereafter. So it's it's always a game of getting yourself out there in promotion, and it's hard to compete with big companies like Nerdist who have girls in Prague handing out Nerdist stickers so that people <laughs> at a bar, so that people listen. I mean, that's impressive. That's a huge machine. You can't do that by yourself. You need millions or at least thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars to pay people to do that well. And, you know, that's next level. So there's this huge divide. It's almost like HBO versus public television in your own city that no one watches. So that's as close as I can analogize, right?
1: Yeah, uh, I watch. I keep tabs of of Nerdist on uh, Instagram, and he always takes a picture when he finishes up the interview, and his last one was with Bill Gates.
0: I mean, you know, yeah, like... (laughs) It's only a matter of time till the president of the United States goes on a podcast, and exactly. whatever it, you know, it's it's gonna happen. A non-NPR podcast.
1: Why not the art, why not the Art of Charm then?
0: Yeah, maybe Call in a couple favors, NBD, no big deal. You know who? You know a guest I almost got that was this is this is people are gonna be like who? Somebody emailed me and was like, hey, you know that guy who got released from North Korea who was in prison for a long time? Oh wow! They're like, I know him do you want to have him on your show? And I was like, absolutely. And then we started talking more about it. And it just, like, he's just, his life is just so hacked up right now that he's like, I can't even deal with it. Like, he didn't even have a belt.
1: no oh, man. And he doesn't
0: have a driver's license that's current. So, like, he's been living abroad forever, and now he's weak and unhealthy and, you know, getting over, like, being in a Breaking Rock prison camp for, I think he was there for, like, three years. So I'm like, yeah, I'll give him a minute to sort of recover. But that kind of stuff, you know, what, you get those guests you can get on mainstream media radar f- big time
1: what's been uh your biggest land i mean you've got you've had a couple of high profile guests recently and obviously now you got larry king's folks calling you. i'm just curious what in your mind was because sometimes what people see as a big is a big guest was not so big a deal in your eyes and you have someone someone else in mind that's more important for your show
0: every single guest that i've gotten a lot in the beginning was always that Honestly, a lot of the guests that I have are now friends, or come through networking connections where they're they're like, "Hey, so and so connected us." I will obviously come on your show, um, so it's it's less of like a holy crap type of thing. I mean, honestly, the upcoming guests, like for example, Larry King and stuff like that, that's where I'm just like mind is blown. And I, this is the first I've mentioned it because if it doesn't happen, I'm gonna look like an like a total a hole. But you know what? I, I figure. It's not like I said, he's going to be on next week. And then it's like not recorded yet. And it flakes. Um, it is, it's just a sort of pitch stage thing, which is really exciting. Cause I, my plan for that interview, cause people are like, well, it's kind of off topic. What are you going to do? I'm literally going to do whatever I can to get uh, Larry King to, I'm going to have him, I'm going to ask him a few questions. I've got a couple ideas about what to talk about, but the rest of it is going to be like, what do you what do you think are the important things for people when they're talking to other people? What, are, what do you think are conversational techniques? What's a good interview technique to get somebody to tell a story they don't want to tell? I mean, basically just tradecraft. Because to get Larry King to coach you is probably impossible. And to get him to coach you while being live on your own show has, to my knowledge, never been done.
1: I think that's amazing. It's going to be one of the most downloaded episodes. And honestly, Jordan, if it doesn't happen like in the, you know, and in in soon, it, I think already you put it out there to the universe. So it's it's going to happen at some point or another.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'll just go knock on his door. <laughs> I know how to get over an electric fence.
1: No problem. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so so uh, yeah, I mean, that type of thing for me is really exciting. I, it's cool to have celebrities and stuff on your show, but for for real, I don't watch TV. I, movies are okay. They're not. I'm not obsessed with them. I don't watch a lot of anything really. So. When somebody is like a famous quote-unquote person, it doesn't register in me as anything super exciting other than when I'm like, oh, a lot of people will be interested in this. But for me, it's less like, I can't believe you're in my studio. Mm-hmm. I don't really get that.
1: Yeah, because at some point in time, you've been doing this enough that it's sort of your instinct as an interview, interviewer take, takes over and you put all your focus on the guest to try to get the best out of the interview.
0: Yeah, there. That's it's true. There are times when... Especially if my producer can get me to put my computer away and like forget the prep and everything. I, I remember being back at Sirius XM and talking with a guest in studio. And I, we were having such a heated conversation that we stood up, raised the mic booms all the way up so we could stand and talk. Yeah. And at one point, I was standing on someone's foot for literally five minutes and didn't even notice. And they didn't move or say anything because we were in so, like, we we're probably five inches apart and basically using like the same microphone at this point talking. And he was like, I just didn't want to mess with your flow, man, because <laughs> I was so in the zone of talking to, to this guest and the guest was, it, it would have been like, hey, you're on my foot. Oh, what? Oh, oh what were we talking about? It would have just ruined it. Yeah. So like, it's funny to see that happen because very rarely are any of us in this like major flow state. If you're really good at a sport, you can get in there. But it took years to get into the zone where I felt like I don't, the microphone is secondary. Everything else going on is secondary. I'm talking to just you and it's it's almost impossible to do not in person you know over Skype mm-hmm. as well but you learn to practice that skill set where you're just like really honed in on the conversation and and it makes a huge difference for the listener huge
1: It does because it 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 feels like you have a connection, um, and that you you know whether or not you guys actually have some experience or history together. I think if you're actively listening, um, and you had the you had one of the guys uh, I forgot his name. He was a some sort of professor on the art of listening or something, because I think what I remember is that you actually cracked a joke and it totally went over his head.
0: Yeah, that's, right. <laughs> yeah, and I was like, uh, yeah, that was uh, Julian Treasure, and he yes. was talking about making, like, warm-up noises, and I was like, how often do you get kicked out of restaurants doing that? Because he was like, mirror, mirror, oh, I'm in the bathroom stall, I'm like, that's weird. So, of course, I said that, and he's like, it's never happened that I've been kicked out of a restaurant, <laughs> and I'm like, um... I'm that that's not that's weird. Yeah. Yeah. Like what? I guess that's not going to go over well, but it's so I get so much email about that because people were like, that was hilarious and made funnier by the fact that he was like, why would I get kicked out of the restaurant?
1: Yeah, I don't get it. Yeah. How have you seen your uh, interview style change or, or your skills, actually, as as you get more and more um, experience?
0: Um, That's a great question, actually. I I'm not totally sure. It, it, thinking about it, relaxing and being able to go off the cuff without canning anything has gotten a lot better. So improvisation skills, I guess you would say.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But also being able to, the really, the important skill, aside from getting rid of you know, basics, like getting rid of filler words and figuring out ways to, to make things sound good in an audio-only format. There's two major skill sets that I can think of, one is sort of unique to the Art of Charm format, which is a teaching and learning type of show where we, for those people who aren't familiar, we teach charisma, confidence, nonverbal communication, reading other people, social skills, persuasion, things like that. So that has, I have to be a teacher, but I also have to be a translator and break things down. So putting myself in the mind of the audience is important for any host. But putting myself in the mind of the audience as students, whereas myself and the guest as teachers, is has been even more important. So, for example, if somebody's like, yeah, man, you know, I just got back from Bahrain and it was fun, you know, blah, blah, blah. And if I'm talking to some comedian and he says that, I might say, oh, what were you doing in Bahrain? Because I know that the listener is going to go, wait, what? Bahrain? Where, where is that? And I might know where that is. And so they might say, yeah, yeah, Bahrain was cool, man. It's a lot of fun. And I'll say, for those of us who don't know where that is, where is Bahrain? And what, what part of Bahrain were you in? And they are go, oh, I was on a military base. we got a lot of our boys stationed over there. Now it creates a better picture. Whereas yeah. otherwise, people are thinking, what were you doing in Bahrain? Is that a tent city in the middle of Pakistan? Like, I don't know what that is. I've never heard of that because I live in Ohio and don't care about anything other than stuff in my neighborhood, which is fine. Like, no judgments, but... Not everybody knows where all these little tiny little countries are, nor cares, but if you're telling that person a story and they don't know, they tune out.
1: You know, it's interesting from from that aspect is that you are actively taking into consideration the listener, almost as if they were there in a studio audience with you, and you you have to make sure that you're you're sort of bringing everyone along with you in, in the ride.
0: Yes, exactly. Precisely. So the way that that extends to the teaching aspect is somebody might say, so you want to have, you know, when you're doing this, you want to have really positive nonverbal communication. You want to have great, and I go, wait, okay, back up the truck. What does positive nonverbal communication mean? And then they're like, well, you know, know, standing up Mm -hmm. straight and having a smile on your face and having open body language. And yes, I know I teach that at the boot camp at the Art of Charm. That's what I do know that. But the guy who just tuned in for the first time, has no clue what the hell that is. And so mm-hmm. if we start talking in jargon, they're out of here. And I know that from losing tons of listeners over the years by <laughs> talking in jargon. And so you want somebody who tunes into your show for the first time to be able to go, oh, okay, so if I do this and this and this and this and this, I should achieve this result according to the guest and according to Jordan. If they, and that's why we're a science-backed show and science-based. If they can't replicate that results, well, this is useless. So don't tell me something that either only you can do, don't tell me something that doesn't make sense in an audio-only format, and don't tell me something that you don't think somebody else can learn with a reasonable amount of practice. And and the second also somebody tries to hide something like, well, the rest is in my book, I'm like, cool, tell us what's in your book, or I'm going to just delete this right now and you can save yourself some time and go have a sandwich. I don't let people do that either, because anything salesy or marketing is, is not okay, because... Then the show becomes a commercial. I have commercials on the show, but the show is not a commercial. And that's a massive difference that I think most people listening to you and I right now, they understand, but there's a lot of internet marketers who are doing podcasts now. And the massive major difference is their shows are largely commercials. And the good ones deliver value and advertise their stuff at the same time.
1: Yeah, what you're seeing is that they're taking the the old, you know, sales pages these uh, things that just kept scrolling on forever and ever and ever and translating that into a show that they think would have the same effect
0: right and it's like not interactive and stuff and it's just like what what the heck is this crap
1: so you talk you, you talk you talk about how important it is to have the guests um, teach something or have your your listeners learn something has that ha- happened to you as well um i know you you do a pretty good Bit of research, or your team does the research on the guest um, when you're talking to them. But do you have moments when you're, you're surprised that you're at what you're learning from your the guest on the show?
0: Yeah, all, all the time, actually. Um, I think if you're not doing that, you're in trouble because one, you're gonna really be not interested in what your guest has to say. The yeah. other thing is, if you're not learning, you can't really. The, here's the trick to putting yourself in the mind of the listener: you need to be learning too. Uh, if you're not, it's it's going to be really hard to get somebody to teach your audience something that you already know like the back of your hand and stay focused. So if you are learning something as well, even if it's something you kind of already know or really already know, you have to forget as much as you can because it's really hard to have a beginner's mind mm-hmm. when you're not a beginner. So putting your ego away and putting your desire to showcase your knowledge away is very challenging. And you can hear it even even me struggle with it on a lot of shows where sometimes I'll chime in and add my two cents, which is great if you do it occasionally, if it helps clarify and bad, if it's just like, look how smart I am. And uh, a lot of people struggle with that. I'm not going to say I'm immune to that as well. So it's, it's tough, but the best way to, to make sure that everybody's learning (laughs) from you, from your show is to be learning as well.
1: If, if, if I were to ask your friends who've, who you've known for 10, 20, 30, have known you for 10, 20, 30 years, how would they say you've changed if, 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 at all, as a result of the show?
0: Most people that I've known for a long time say that I am a different person, uh, and I'm just completely different, much more confident, obviously than I was before. It's really drastically, I, I'm, man, it's night and day. Anybody who knew me as a kid, I was shy, quiet, introverted, didn't talk much, didn't look people in the eye, uh, wasn't really in good shape, didn't have a lot of ambition, liked to sleep all day, definitely a little bit depressed as a, as a kid, teenager who, you know, joined the club, right? Um, impulsive, etc. cetera. Now I, I say what's on my mind. I, I'm a clear thinker. I, I go for what I want. I don't accept excuses from myself. I have great relationships all around. I mean, I've literally systematically changed pretty much everything about myself, other than my hair color <laughs> since uh, since I started doing the show because the show's been such an intense journey of personal growth that I, I, and it's not only that I have a passion for it, but if you're talking with people who've done amazing things every day, if you're not, you start holding yourself to this different standard where you're like, well, I should do that, but oh, it's gonna be so hard. And then you're like, well, Tim Ferriss did it so I can do it. Whereas a normal person who doesn't have exposure to all the stuff, which is one of the reasons I do the show, for the audience, if you don't have exposure to these people, you, you can. It's much easier to go. I'm the tall. I'm the world's shortest midget. You know, <laughs> I'm doing really well for myself. But if you start to look at different role models that have done amazing things, and you pick and choose from them, and they're teaching you stuff. Yeah. I mean, if you don't take action, man, you feel like shit, and you should, because you're basically staring at the the key to the to the city. You know, the world is your oyster type deal. I mean, insert your cliche here. All the tools are being handed to you, and the only reason you're not doing it, if you're not applying this stuff, is because you're afraid or you're too lazy.
1: Yeah, yeah, that fear thing, man, that kicks in so fucking hard sometimes that you're just like, you're left paralyzed because, you know, as you know, and we've chatted about a conference that I'm putting on, first time ever, never done anything like it, and I just sit there paralyzed sometimes like in terms of my next step because that imposter syndrome kicks in big time. But then you have the example of people that are successful that have been doing it and, you know, or people that want to podcast and follow in your footsteps They're like, well, Jordan did it and he started, he had to start at one just like everybody else.
0: Yeah. And I, I'd say there's so much, there's so much that you can do and learn from this process that I encourage people to do it. I just don't encourage people to do it because they want to make money. Podcasting is a crap way to make money. <laughs>
1: everyone points to that one exception of john kicking ass
0: yeah but here's the thing and don't get me wrong i like john he's making money telling other people and selling them a system on how to make money podcasting yeah you know i the art of charm makes millions of dollars as well and yes it's a result of a podcast but it's kind of like going you know what i need a really viable money-making strategy i'm going to be a movie star i'm going to be a rock star Like I'm not trying to equate the art of charm with rock star, movie star in terms of status, but I am saying the odds are pretty much the same. Yeah, Everybody wants to make money doing something that they love, but if you're going to make money doing something you love, man, there are a million better ways to do it than trying to get good at broadcasting and then monetize what you create. I mean, this is a terrible way to make money.
1: Yeah, to your I mean, yeah—to your point, it's going to be incredibly hard because not only is it hard enough in and of itself because of all the moving pieces, but the fact that everyone and their mother thinks that they're going to have a podcast show now and it's going to be a version of Dashpreneur or Dash on Fire, which is getting seriously overkilled right now. It, it'll just be fun to watch them all shake out and see who's really in it for the long haul.
0: Yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, the reason I don't do shows that have less than, let's say... 20 episodes or something like that is because precisely because most people quit after yeah. 10. And so I know that if, if someone's like, I got a new show, I'm like, cool. Call me in three months. They, they're not even there. It's pretty predictable They They don't exist then. And so I save a lot of time going on shows with no audience yeah. because people go, man, I've been doing this for three months. I haven't made a dime. So they quit. But if you're doing it cause you love it, I mean, shit, we didn't make money for years. Didn't matter.
1: No, I think the important thing is that the passion, um, when did you find a different uh, skill set needed when it was just you doing the show as opposed to you and AJ?
0: Yes, it's better with a co-host. Uh, I definitely want to bring AJ back for some more episodes. It's just a, a very, very different show. and uh, When when you have somebody else you can riff on who's also thinking what questions to ask, mm-hmm. who's also putting themselves in the mind of another listener, because I can put myself in the mind of as many listeners as I, as I, as I think of in the moment, but two brains are always going to think better than one when it comes to this, because you're talking about multiple numbers of people. So I remember when I, when I do shows with AJ and we interview the same guest, man, the questions he comes up with are awesome. And I never would have thought of that. And I'd like to think vice versa, not to mention we can joke around with each other. If the guest is a little slow, him and I can start talking. We can have a drink. It's not me drinking by myself, <laughs> which I'm not averse to. Um, but, you know, that is that st- that type of thing is extremely valuable, uh, extremely, extremely valuable.
1: And it's something that has to come over a period of time of working together and knowing the dynamics, the chemistry of the of the two people uh, on the hosting side.
0: Yes. There's no way to, there's no way to just grab another person and be like, will you co-host a show with me? There's an entirely different skill set involved. And a lot of people try to do that too. Like, Hey, today I've got my friend with me on the show and we're going to interview this person. You just, you just brought two guests on that can't see each other. That aren't experienced, you. This show's gonna suck.
1: Yeah, timing's gonna be off. It's they're gonna be talking over each other. It's it's not gonna sound. One, per, I've heard them with, with a, a quote unquote guest host, and then the, like I don't hear the guest host for like the whole interview, and they just say bye at the end.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's really weird. It's just you have to have people with with somewhat. They have to have hosting skills because I I've co-hosted shows before with with people that are not experienced hosts and. I will completely eclipse them, even when I'm trying to include them, which is another skill set a host needs to build. You don't just have it. You ha- Including another person, more than one other guest or more than one person in the conversation, totally different skill set than interviewing one person.
1: So Jordan, what is... What keeps you motivated? Because this is, uh, this is a, you know, a grind if, if you let it get to you and, and if you lose your enthusiasm for it. So I'm curious, um, and, I, and I love talking to podcasters who've been doing this for years now. I've, I've gotten to talk to people who started way, way back in 2006, 2007. You know, yourself, you've been doing it for a long time as well. And I'm, I'm always curious, as, what's your motivation for continuing?
0: Well, now this is my business, but I've always loved broadcasting. I wanted to be a talk show host when I was a kid. So the fact that I can do this and make money doing it, and I'm talking to interesting people all the time, you know, when, if you first start a show, one of the common threads you'll see on learning er areas are how do I get big name guests? And part of that's because they want notoriety for the show, but also because big name guests tend to be interesting people and having a conversation with an interesting person is a massive, that is a gift And so I look at it really fortunately. I've got an email inbox full of interesting people who want to talk to me for an hour, who for charge, if I were hiring them for a keynote for even 1%, as many people as are gonna hear my podcast, it would cost me $25,000 plus. And yet I can ask them anything I want instead of just listening to their prepared speech and usually after the show, I can call and go, hey, yeah, I know you're an expert in this area. What do you think about this? And essentially they'll consult because they're getting a lot out of the conversation in terms of exposure. So it's just mass. It's such win-win, all caps, yeah. right? Like I get a great show. They get great exposure. We both get a relationship out of it and we both make money out of it. I mean, there's no, it's just the best thing ever, quite frankly. So I motivation is not something I think, I don't wake up and go, Oh, I've got to do a show today. Uh that is that has not happened in any memory whatsoever that I have. I I love it. I can't get enough of it. If in fact, if I if I had if I could just pick something that I would do all day every day, I would just record the show. But, you know, there's other stuff I I got to do and frankly, I don't want to get too I don't want to get sick of it, but if I could just do the show, if if all I had to do was record the show, send it to the engineer and I had producers and all that stuff managing all the logistics, which I I largely do now, um, that would be great. You know, I, I would I would live somewhere tropical and I would do my show and have great conversations and live a really awesome life. On the difference is the reason I don't do that is because I'm building the art of charm with AJ and the team where we run the school live in LA where we teach these skills that we're learning. And that's that's sort of a bigger legacy.
1: Yeah. I mean, um every podcaster that really is passionate about what they're doing is, you know, you hear that as an overriding theme. And if I could just get in the room, turn on the mic, record my show and then leave and then have some sort of magic happen, that'd be the ultimate.
0: Yes, exactly.
1: So with all the people jumping into this space, what do you think the biggest opportunities are right now for podcasters, um, as opposed to maybe a couple years ago, if someone was going to get into podcasting now?
0: I mean, I think that there's a lot of people jumping in. It's great. They're they're becoming podcast fans, will probably eventually give up doing their own show. They're recruiting their friends who don't know about podcasting into the fray a little bit. Um, the unfortunate part is if you're starting a show, there's a lot more noise. When I started, I think there were something like 800 or maybe 8,000 shows in iTunes, and we were like, no one's ever gonna find our show, man. We are we were stoked when we were like number 25 in self-help or something like that, and, and then later on, we were number... Well, we were top 10 for years and we were like this is amazing then we were number one and then we were like cool then we started getting in the top 10 in health then we were number one we were like cool then we switched to business because it's a bigger pond and now we're in the top 10 in business and I'm thinking cool the, the next because now my competition is like Tim Fair competition but you know I put that in air quotes because yeah. you know podcasting is one of the few areas where you're not in business especially You're it's very cooperative your, it's your, Fair, your, Dave peers Ramsey. Your peers, right. Yeah, exactly. It's still small enough where we're like, hey, you should come on my show and I should come on your show, not screw you. You're taking my market share. So I've got, you know, Tim Ferriss, Dave Ramsey, startup are ahead of me. And that's pretty much it in that in the business category. And now, you know, this year's goal is number one in business and and stay there. And then, you know, new challengers, big names that come in and start a show will float to the top for a few months. Their feature will expire and I'll get back to my to my place at the top. That's my <laughs> that's my vision. That's my goal.
1: That's your master plan. It's the master plan. Well, um, I, I appreciate you being generous with your time. I've, I've really enjoyed the podcast, and I think um, a lot of what you know, we've we've had a couple of conversations prior to the interview, and who you are when you're interviewing your guests is, is really like your personality, like as who you are, like off camera, on camera, you're just the same person. And I think that's the sign of like a a genuine and a, and a sincere and and true uh, podcast host, because that's the kind of person that people want to listen to.
0: Thanks, man. I appreciate you saying that. I do think it's funny when people are are surprised. They're like, wow, your voice is the same. (laughs) Yes, it's the same. I don't use any fancy equipment to change it. And then when I'm, very much the same person on the show. People are always surprised. My girlfriend was a fan of the show before I met her, and she's like, I was really relieved that you were the same guy. Because she was worried that it was like this cool cool guy act for the show, and I was really like his dick (laughs) or some kind of schmuck in real life, which, I mean, maybe she's just being fooled right now still, but yeah, I'm pretty much the same person. I talk the same. The conversations are largely the same. The jokes are equally crap in person. (laughs) Um, The only difference is, I don't record my everyday conversations, and often they're not with famous people. Um, but you know, other than that, I'm pretty much the same person i I'm, I might talk a little bit more on the mic than I do in a group.
1: Very cool. Um, so w- when you're not running the art of charm and you do have the opportunity for some downtime, what uh w- what interests you other than podcasting and, and talking to really cool people
0: i Wow, good question. Other than podcasting and talking to cool people, man, I travel. I learn languages. Yeah. I'm learning Chinese right nice. now. Yeah, I learn languages. I know uh, a few, and uh, I, it just doesn't get old.
1: Do you approach that with the same uh, rigor that you do your podcast?
0: No, <laughs> no, definitely not. Uh, I, I certainly don't. I, I basically languages are kind of like a fun pastime, fun thing. But no, my podcast, I'm obsessed with it. That's there's there's no more to it than that, really.
1: Cool well uh thanks again and i'll look forward to uh breaking 400 do you do anything special when you hit your milestones
0: yeah i try to have like a cool bigger name guest but honestly it hasn't worked out that well because of the timing coordination and the fact that i'm not planning that much like i've got 400 coming up and there's no like secret surprise <laughs> for episode 400 i had all this stuff planned and then like kind of didn't execute on it yeah. Uh, and now I'm just like, eh, maybe I'll call in a favor and have, you know, Tim Ferriss come over to my house and we'll record a show for episode 400 or like maybe I'll try to find some really interesting guests or maybe Larry King will pull through in time for 400. Like that would be really cool. Right. Yeah. Um, but, but otherwise it's, (laughs) it's unlikely. Maybe I'll have AJ on for episode 400.
1: (laughs) I don't know. Just take yeah, take it back to the old school.
0: Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Thanks for the idea. Actually. Why don't I just do that? now it's a relief because that's coming right up i mean that's literally that's probably what it's if it's not in february it's in early march
1: yeah with the production schedule you got and if you're at two or three a week yeah that's, that yeah. sounds about right
0: thanks so much for the opportunity i really appreciate it
1: all right thanks and uh, we'll be in touch and uh, we're both on the west coast so i'm sure we'll meet up at some point
0: i hope so man i'll see you maybe at podcast movement or something yeah yeah, yeah.
1: thanks jordan